Father God, thank you for gathering us today. We're so blessed to be here using this technology. Without it, we wouldn't be able to share in this Bible study and in this fellowship. So, Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for all things to begin with. And and then for the many ways that you've reached out to us individually and personally and blessed our families. We're thankful for children who would honor you and walk with you. And what a, what a glory that is. Far more than just to us as parents, but Father, to you. You are the one who is worthy. And our Lord Jesus always uh, there to intercede for us and and to provide us with such the such a abundant an abundant life uh, a newness of life through his uh, spirit so father we're just thankful indeed for that thank you that you reached out to us in our times of need and far beyond that we're working there beyond behind the scenes to uh, engineer really our uh, our lives and to work out the tapestry of them. So, Father, what a beautiful work that is. And thank you for giving us understanding day by day. Uh, thank you for this meeting today. May we honor uh, you and glorify our Lord Jesus in it. And may your grace be magnified. Father, we pray for our president and those that uh, throughout the government and in, in all aspects of uh, our country's large and complex uh, system of uh, meeting the needs of our people, ensuring the peace and safety as much as can be done, humanly speaking. And many put their lives in danger, Father, and they do that often, daily even, for some. We pray for them that you would sustain them and uh, protect them and give them victory over the many enemies. We pray for our president and those that serve with him. And Father, I pray that, that they would be encouraged and, and successful in their endeavors and that the, the scourge of uh, godless atheism, even socialism and communism that's so uh, rapidly consuming so many. I pray, Father, that that, that would be thwarted, that you would uh, work uh, to decrease the, the power and benefit of it for many. May they see the evil of it and turn away. Father, I I pray for uh, our dear ones who are in in uh, harm's way as well in the university setting for a number of them. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you, that you would reach out to them and uh, protect them as you have been doing. So, Father, we look into your word now, and uh, may it be a great benefit to each of us as we do so. And we would ask this in Christ's name, and amen. Well, our privilege today is to continue in Paul's first letter to Timothy. And as a title for today, I've determined that uh, it would be this. This is all an exhortation. So the title for Son Timothy, 
prepare well to be a type for believers as I have been. Son Timothy, prepare well to be a type for an example for believers as I have been. Okay, so Paul sets forth his example to Timothy again and uh, expects Timothy to be an example for others, but that's going to require great preparation. And so the, the whole exhortation is about preparation and then how to proceed with that in ministry. Okay, last time we, we looked at uh, how Good ministers of truth make the difference in dark times. Good ministers of truth make the difference. So what Paul does in the last verses there in chapter 3 in 1 Timothy is really quite astounding in a sense. Uh, he summarizes sort of the whole thing in one verse there. Uh, and he he basically says to uh, to Timothy, uh, I hope to see you soon, but in case uh, that's not the plan of the Lord, uh, I want you to know how you should proceed independently. And, of course, uh, this would, I think, often be a challenge for Timothy. He was so used to being with Paul, personally present, and had traveled with Paul in his missionary journeys a lot. And... Uh, certainly was used to being together with Paul and carrying on as a co-minister. So to be now uh, all alone, as it were, without Paul is uh, certainly a great issue. So Paul exhorts Timothy, and uh, these these verses, I'll reread verses 15 and 16. They're so, so really kind of, astounding in a sense. Every time I read them, I'm sort of sit back and forced to consider what Paul has written, probably like Timothy did, but I'm sure for Timothy, they were even more, more powerful than they might be for us. So this is what he writes in verses 15 and 16, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. <laughs> oh, my. Maybe we need to put that one to memory or put it on the wall in a little plaque or something. Huh? Well, I last time when we were looking at this in more detail, I, I took us back to some other scriptures, I think three or four all together, where uh, Paul writes about things that are either in reference to the same subject exactly or in slightly different terminology, but really coming down to the same point. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 15, and Romans 1 last time. And maybe you go back to look at the uh, 
the notes uh, that are online there on libertymessenger.org for that. But now all I want to do is uh, just kind of summarize. So we know where we're starting today and, and where we want to go, because this underscores everything, this teaching here in verse 16. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, we read this. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, a quickening spirit. So in Christ's resurrection, he was transformed into a quickening spirit, able to quicken others <laughs> as they're drawn into saving faith. Uh, and uh, so it has been for us. So as a result, Paul is able to write about this life-giving spirit, which is really Christ's resurrection spirit and life. He's able to write about it in terms that he calls godliness, godliness, and in other terms as well. In Colossians 1, he wrote this, that he was writing about the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, so many teachers avoid this teaching only to their own uh, peril, really. Christ in us is essential to know. Uh, it's not only that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He surely does. Actually, all three persons of the Trinity, even God the Father, dwells within us today. But that Christ dwells within us, he is, it says here, in us, the hope of glory. And so this is the most important teaching. And uh, this mystery teaching given to Paul, right, and uh, through Paul to the church uh, has really transformed everything. God's working in the dispensation of grace uh, in such a wonderful way, and we're all a part of it. And so now you understand more about why in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 3, he would say, If I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Well, there are many controversies in uh, Christendom over this, are there not? But there's no controversy in the heavenlies because everything's been worked out <laughs> through the completed work of Christ Jesus on the cross, his death and glorious resurrection. Okay, now, when we look at the beginning of the next chapter then, where we were last time, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to prepare because he says, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Okay, what truth? Well, one that Paul referred to at the end of the previous chapter, right? 
Well, there's much there. We only went into it a little because these uh, sort of cultic kinds of teachings, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, etc. Um, it's kind of hard to put our finger on exactly which of them he's referring to there because it seems to me most of the cults that have ever been propagated by Satan have involved a number of legalisms, this, this just being a couple of them, right? Forbidding to marry. Well, the largest group in the world uh, within Christendom, not saying it's uh, a, a proper uh, organization, but the largest one in the world forbids priests to marry and so forth. And they have special uh, ceremonies of abstaining from certain foods and so forth and so on, as you well know. But most cults do. And what Paul is saying is, to Timothy is that you need to be really aware it's going to be difficult to carry out the ministry of the mystery, the truth of grace and its abundance because... Why? Because, yes, because he is directly interfering with the work of God, which is to highlight the message of grace today. Uh, Satan's working to contradict uh, all of that, and he does it through um, false teachings, and they're even demonic teachings, as he has written here. Okay, well, I think that's enough uh, of a review. That's where we came last time let's continue on today with some of it is a little bit of a review anyway because there would be three points today and one of them we looked at last time quite a bit but i want to say more uh, so timothy is exhorted first of all to minister words of faith and good. The emphasis there that I'm making is on the good doctrine. Secondly, Timothy is exhorted to attend to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. How about the emphasis there on doctrine? Thirdly, Timothy is exhorted to take heed to the doctrines <laughs> promoting salvation. The whole section is about doctrine. What is doctrine? It is uh, a, a certain type of teaching. It's detailed. It is involved <laughs> often. It's methodical. And it, it has a purpose, uh, indeed. So good doctrine is what Timothy is being exhorted to uh, <laughs> provide to believers and to do so using words of faith. In other words, to encourage faith instead of controversy, right? Because he said before, there is no controversy. <laughs> okay, not really. Okay, we see it in the world, but in the body of Christ, we must always seek to rise above that. Okay, well, let's start out then uh, with that first point. Uh, Timothy is exhorted to minister words of faith and good doctrine. I'd like Lisa to read those verses for us. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, 
thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but God, godliness is profitable unto all things, having prominence of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Thank you, Lisa. Well, so, so Timothy is exhorted not to minister hypocrite, in other words, not living up to what he's preaching and teaching, but rather to demonstrate, to represent the the reality of of, of the words and of the truth that he shares, right? That's why much preparation was required, okay? It wasn't something he could enter into uh, quickly and easily. He was a relatively young man, it seems, and very timid in his nature. Uh, I think he, he would rather have stepped aside to let someone else uh, take the center uh, spotlight. In fact, Paul was there. Uh, usually to do that, <clears throat> but for Timothy to go out on his own was going to require a lot of uh, spiritual exercise on his part, right? And he needed to be nourished up in the words that he would then share. He needed to be built up, strengthened by the good teaching that he had received from Paul. And Paul is certainly confident here that he will be able to do it. He does say in verse 6, whereunto thou hast attained. Okay, so there's no lack of confidence in the Apostle Paul here in Timothy. It's just that he knows what's ahead. He knows the battle will be very great. And so he encourages Timothy to enter into the battle with knowledge, knowing in advance what to expect, counting the costs, in other words. Uh, so anyone who would minister the truth of grace is certainly going to uh, face much persecution and conflict. And it will come in unexpected ways and certainly from without, from within, from wherever. You remember Paul met with these uh, leaders of the Ephesian church. Uh, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. Right. And uh, he said, even from within yourselves, there'll be raised up those who will be uh, an issue. Right. Who will be a conflict. Uh, and uh, you will need to. You elders who would dare to stand for truth and and grace, you're going to have to, to uh, somehow resolve the issue, provide proper leadership. One thing about this letter that really stands out to me uh, this time through it more than ever before is that basically the entire letter is a hierarchy of, of authority that God has established in his creation. There's a hierarchy from him down, okay? Um, and all of it is, is in one way or another revealed here in this letter, whether the 
the hierarchy is over God is of God over over the world. That's certainly uh, communicated here. Whether it's over nations, that's certainly communicated. He says, pray for kings and leaders and so forth that they might uh, rule wisely, whether they know the Lord or not. I mean, so so God's authority structure needs to be recognized, and there are great, great benefits even to unbelievers if they live under that kind of a uh, rule, let us say, um, in in the nation, right itself. Uh, we in our nation are certainly see that, seeing that on every side, as many have turned aside and do not respect uh, the proper authority that God has established. In the church, there is a proper rule and authority that's to be communicated, and uh, that's what much of this letter is about, and Timothy is supposed to ensure, uh, with God's help, that that's accomplished, right? That there's proper order in the church, uh, in the family, in the marriage, with children, and the whole thing is here, is it not, in one way or another? So that's really uh, the overall uh, context of the letter. Uh, establish the authority in the hearts and minds of the people that God himself has put into place. So certain things are in place, whether or not we recognize that uh, and, and uh Submit to us another story, right? <clears throat> the whole letter is about Timothy being um, a witness to that in all of these different ways. So it must be done without hypocrisy. There must be knowledge and true growth, spiritually speaking. And that's what these verses here are all about. Now, in verse 10, and then in, in verse uh, 16 that we'll get to at the end there, there's a, an interesting use of the language there. In verse 10, and by the way, this this same word, we, remember we spent much time um, when we were back in chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 15 and 16, remember? Um, it said, Paul is talking about the men and the women, and he, he says regarding the women that they'll be saved through childbearing. If the children continue in the way that he specifies there that's not talking about salvation of one um here in verse 10 he says we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living god who is the savior of all men especially those that believe interesting huh so the lord god is the savior not all will submit <laughs> in faith, right? Uh, there are blessings to all. God is sovereign uh, and is the Savior, he says. Uh, but not all will receive that salvation. But those that do, oh, look, they're going to be blessed in a very way. And, of course, Timothy's responsibility is to uh, minister to that end, that many will come to know the Lord and of them, a great number will learn to enjoy the hierarchical structure that God has placed in the creation, even all the way down to the level of even in our individual spirits, you know, enjoying him and his work under grace.
Well, much teaching will be required, much doctrinal teaching to accomplish that. Indeed, right? Now, the word for teaching found here, or doctrine, it's translated teaching, it's translated doctrine, it's also translated in a few other ways, learning in one place in the King James. Uh, this word is found a great many times, but even uh, in Paul's letters, his later letters, the, the, the letters to Timothy and Titus, they're called the pastorals, the pastoral letters. Even just in the pastoral letters, leaving everything else out, Paul uses this word for doctrinal teaching 15 times. <laughs> oh my, that's a lot. Um, and it's... Uh, it's used in various different respects, sometimes for false teaching, false doctrine, like in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul is contrasting grace and, and perverse law. And he says about these things that so many are prohibiting, the false teachers were prohibiting this and this and this and that and so forth, right? Uh, he says all, all of these things are to, to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, <laughs> well, satanically uh, instigated, right, and conceived. That's Colossians 2.22. The Lord himself had used the word for uh, doctrinal teaching in a similar way when he said, this is in Mark chapter 7, verse 7, he said, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, so some doctrinal teaching is very, very dangerous. We must not make any peace with it. <laughs> it is to be defeated, right? It is to be eradicated by true doctrine. And that's what Paul refers to in a number of places. Uh, in in uh, Romans 12, 7, he says, considering spiritual gifts that are given to the members of the body, he said, some should wait on their ministry. He that teacheth on teaching. So if God's given the spiritual gift of teaching, that same word for doctrinal teaching, okay, then one must wait on it. In other words, <laughs> develop it over time and then uh, be well qualified to perform in that mode of ministry, right? The teaching of doctrine. Um, Paul refers in Ephesians 4 to false teaching that will be faced by anyone uh, who seeks to communicate truth uh, in the churches even. And so what does he say? Ephesians 4.14, that his goal was that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We saw early in Paul's letter to Timothy, saw this already in our fellowship here, where uh, he makes a list of evil, and I won't go into the long list. It's a very long list indeed, right? And at the end of the list, where he's 
he says this, uh, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, sound teaching, sound um, I like the word doctrine myself, sound doctrinal teaching. Now, I don't mean that this should be done the way John Calvin did in his Institutes, a famous, very long book that many took to be sort of the standard for hundreds of years, right, of what doctrine ought to be. Now, that, in fact, Calvin was wrong about so many things, but right about many things, too. Yeah. But um, certainly God was able to use them. But uh, <clears throat> doctrine is simply the, the revelation of God to man concerning who he is and what he is doing and how that should uh, bear fruit in our lives. That's what true doctrine is. Okay. Um, so this word is used over and over and over again in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and in Titus. Let me just... Uh, Pick out a verse we've already looked at here. First Timothy four verse six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good. Doctrine. The word for good there, there are two words for good in Greek. One speaks of a, something tasting good, like a fruit, <laughs> a good fruit. Uh, one speaks of it kind of appearing good in every respect. You could examine it very carefully and say, this is a good thing indeed, right? Um, that's the word we find here. Good doctrine, you can examine it on every side with a microscope if you have in insight into spiritual things and never find an issue at all. It's really valuable there. Okay. Um, there are other places. We're look, we'll look at them another time. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, Patience. These are the same things he exhorts of Timothy, right? Um, but notice Paul is able to set himself up as an example for Timothy. And his doctrine, knowing Paul's doctrine, well, what could be more important than knowing Paul's doctrine? Because this is the doctrine that God has given to Paul for us. And uh, and then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter <clears throat> 4 verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And then in Titus 1 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound both to exhort and to the gainsayer. And then in chapter 2, verse 10 of Titus, not purloining or stealing, right, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our 
Savior in all things. Okay, so there are a number of ways that Paul exhorts Timothy. He sets forth himself as Timothy's example and expects Timothy to become an example for others that he might minister effectively. Well, that's uh, the first part here uh, in the way that Timothy was exhorted. Now let's look at the second way he's exhorted, that Timothy, to prepare for ministry, needs to attend to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, and would you read for that? Read that for us, verses 12 and 13. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Anne. So, reading, reading what? The scriptures, of course, whatever he had available. I'm sure he had much of the Old Testament available, and he had some of Paul's letters available. Then to exhortation, right? He's supposed to be day by day, day by day doing these things, preparing and then ministering, preparing and then ministering. And the final thing on the list, doctrine. Okay. Now, I already mentioned that in 2 Timothy, Paul sets up himself as an example for Timothy. And the first thing on the list of what Timothy is supposed to know well and never forget is Paul's own doctrine. So he says, thou hast fully known my manner of life, purpose, faith. By the way, these, these verses have transformed my life over the uh, many years of uh, of ministry, um, the way that we are exhorted uh, through Paul's words to Timothy is most precious and powerful, really, and, and all of us should be. Not only those in active ministry, but all, right, need to know Paul's doctrine. If Timothy needed to know it that much so that he could minister it, I should think we all, we all need to know it. Uh, Paul also writes similarly in other places, not only here. There are many places where Paul sets up his own ministry as an example. And he says, follow me. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, for example, brethren, be followers or, or imitators, really, together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Or type. This word type keeps getting repeated here. So actually, Paul there is exhorting uh, Timothy in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4. He says, be thou an example of the believers. The word is type in the Greek, right? Be a type. Oh, my. Types uh, are very important in the work of God. And so here also in Philippians, he says, we are a type for you, so imitate us. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, even as we also Christ. So Paul is imitating the heavenly Christ. We are to imitate Paul. If more, 
today would understand that it would change really the churches entirely, right? Because many today, certainly most, we can be quite sure of it, are trying to imitate Christ apart from Paul by going around Paul, by skirting what Paul has written, not focusing on it, going directly to the Gospels to find out how Christ commanded his disciples and therefore to draw application from that for our lives today. But the empowering today is different than what was expected there in Christ's ministry. There are many things that are different under grace compared to kingdom law, which is what Christ was, of course, exhorting his disciples to pursue, right? Uh, and the reason was because in the tribulation period, this would, of course, be the central focus, and then in the kingdom itself, right? But we're under grace today, not under law. So we're supposed to follow, supposed to imitate Paul. Okay, um, that word for type, though, I, I just want you to understand the power of the word by looking back into John's gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 25, the same word type is used, but there it's translated print, print. <laughs> and remember, um, Thomas said this, this is John 20, verse 25, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. No evidence that Thomas ever did that. Christ offered it. <laughs> no evidence he ever did it. But that's the word for type we find here. So when Paul says, I am a type to you, Timothy, you need to be a type for the, the believers. He is using the strongest word imaginable for this in terms of a ministry that is not hypocritical, but is able to properly communicate the depth of the teaching of grace. Okay, and that's something to take to heart. Let's go on to our third uh, thing here that um, uh, continues to focus on Timothy and the exhortation of Paul to Timothy, that he would take heed to the doctrines promoting salvation. Okay, Linda, would you please read verses 14 through 16 for us in 1 Timothy. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy with the lying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate these things, give thyself wholly to them, that by profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and upon the doctrine continuing in them, for it is this thy shall both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thank you, Linda. Okay, again now we see this word salvation used um, in, a, in a way that you might not have expected. And as I've said so many times, uh, Paul uses the word in different ways. Okay, so he says, take heed, you've given yourself over fully to the teaching, to the doctrine, and now you're living that out so that your profiting may appear to all. So he says, take heed unto thyself 
and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. <laughs> okay, what kind of deliverance is he talking about? Salvation speaks of deliverance. Of deliverance from what? The context has to tell us, okay? And it does. The context does tell us. Now, these words are parallel to those uh, back in verse 10, as I pointed out before. In verse 10, though, there's a difference. There it says, we trust in the living God who is a savior of all men, yes, especially those that believe. Here, uh, he says, take heed unto thyself and, and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This is not about spiritual salvation, I'm convinced, except in a sense it is, but not eternal salvation. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being delivered from the threat that he's detailed for them when he uses words like doctrines of demons and other such, right? They are going to be pummeled by false teachings. He says in the latter days, this is the way it will be, okay? Well, it is surely the latter days for us. It was going to be for Timothy. This whole period is the latter days, okay? <laughs> uh, as we expect, as the next thing on the prophetic horizon, uh, being called up into heaven's glory. And it's always been so for members of the body of Christ, right? So to be delivered from these assaults of the enemy, one needs to dwell in and be nourished up and benefited by the true doctrine, the true case. That's the context of the word salvation here. So Timothy is to be delivered from those trials in life that he's about to enter into fully, <laughs> no doubt. And um, through him, others are also to be brought into that blessing. So praise God Wow, for the doctrines that communicate the abundant grace of God. Uh, let's see how this should be applied, though. How should it be applied? Well, as I said, the entire letter is about ordering our affairs in accord let me start over ordering our affairs in accord with the sovereignty of almighty god over everything here on earth right so to do that we have to know who god is what he is doing and how we should live accordingly within that realm so that we are not attempting to do what only god can do that's the greatest mistake we can make as believers, really, is to think we're doing the will of God when really we're not because of our confusion, right? Um, are we properly respecting God and his work today under grace? Well, to do, to do that, we need to understand what he is doing dispensationally, right? So Paul exhorts Timothy in that regard. We should apply the, the exhortations given to Timothy to ourselves by always considering 
is what God expects of us today under grace. Are we living our lives in the light of his glory and grace? Is that the mystery of godliness that's being worked out in and through us? Notice Paul uses the word godliness over and over and over in these letters, right? Because it is all about how it's working today. I want to just finish with quoting two sections of scripture, both from Second Corinthians, first of all, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is what Paul wrote there. For this I also did write that I might know the proof of you, whether you are obedient in all things, to whom ye forgave or forgive anything I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. Oh, true forgiveness is a spiritual work indeed, isn't it? In the person of Christ. And then he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Satan is going to cause conflict in the body of Christ, and he's going to use the lack of forgiveness, of true forgiveness, to accomplish his great purpose. Right? That's what 2 Corinthians 2 says. So Paul is saying, as Christ forgave us, so we should forgive ourselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, because it's a different dispensational plan. Okay, so we need to know God's grace that we have already been forgiven. So we can properly forgive. in the person of Christ. Hmm. Uh, and then in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The bottom line is, when we know God and what he is doing today, all in the context of the completed work of Christ on Calvary's cross, when we know his abundance of grace, then we are able to share the word of reconciliation. Could be better than that. What an opportunity. Don't expect all clamoring to hear more of it. The word of reconciliation is most hated by Satan and his willing servants. So, be prepared, but go forth boldly with words of grace and truth. Amen and amen. Are there any uh, comments or questions before we close today? Well, are you all well prepared? Or are you still in process of preparation? No doubt, as we are. <laughs> <laughs> Still learning, right? Yes. But not like those in the world, always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Coming to a knowledge of the truth and being bold to share it with others. 
And growing in grace. Growing in grace. Amen. Okay. Are there any comments before we close today? Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you. We are overwhelmed to consider what's written here to take it carefully, verse by verse, in its context, that we might be taught by the Spirit of God, that we might be illumined in our understandings, that the darkness might be removed from our minds, that the blindness may be banished indeed, and that we might be fully in the light of glory and grace, as Paul writes, in the face, in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you so much for gathering us today. What a blessing. Thank you that your word stands uh, settled there on these pages. Thanks for bringing it to us, to our hearts and to our minds. And thanks for working a great work in us to make us a blessing and a light for others who are still in darkness. Father, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we are... <laughs> So, Father, I pray that, that they might receive us. Your grace in this very day and through our ministry in their midst. Father, please deliver our nation from the evil one and his willing servant and give victory to those that would dare to on the side of truth and true justice. And we would thank you, Father, in Christ's precious and